Thank you, Musos. Appreciate it. I love words, and um, when I hear those songs, it just makes me tear because I recognise the wretchedness in myself. And then I marvel that I'm here speaking on behalf of um, the Holy Spirit to you, and it's a very humbling experience. Um, and you start to question your worth. I've got a tissue because I always cry when I talk about God. And it's a really cool experience. If you ever feel the spirit leading to speak on behalf or to do something like this, I recommend it because time and time again it humbles. It just strips back the fibre of stuff and to be a vessel is pretty cool. And as the musicians so beautifully uh, introduced, I'm speaking about grace today. And just a health check for all of us. How are we spiritually and where are we at the moment? Um, speaking to myself as well. So before I get going, I would like to pray. Lord, I just thank you for your amazing love. And I thank you that you use broken vessels to share that. And that the wonder and the gift in that is just really amazing. Thank you, Lord, that we are here and that we've come to search you out. And I just pray that your Holy Spirit um, just floods us and allows us to hear your word. Um, thank you for this opportunity to be in this place and to be a vessel for you. And, yeah, thank you, Holy Spirit, for being here. Amen. Um, let me get my notes. Who knows if I'll use them? It tends to fly around a little bit. So living in God's grace, and where are you in that? That's pretty much the big question today. When I think about brave, strong men, I always go back to my dad and I go back to Steve. Sorry, Steve. Um, they both have had, and I know that there is bad things and good things in their life, but what I really admire about both of these men in my life is that They've been through tough times and they refused to let those tough moments define them into something toxic or negative or angry. What they've done in those tough times is they've sat with it and sometimes sitting with tough moments is actually a real growing point. Um, and so my dad, for example, had no healthy father figure. Um, he refused to call his dad father because he thought that was a gift and a title to be earned. And when he eventually met up with his dad in his 40s, his father didn't even recognise him. And he could have taken all the toxic behaviour that my grandfather had um, instilled upon that family, and yet he chose to be a different dad. And I just think that that shows strength, not to perpetuate that same cycle of negativity, but to move into something beautiful and to be a beautiful man. And I see the same in Steve. He may not have had a mother in his life for many, many years, but he's the one person I know that is tuned with emotional stuff. If there's someone who is struggling because of what he's been through, he straight away can pick up when someone else needs that. And I think it could have been the opposite. It could have been, you know, God, why did you give me this test? And he could have thrown away his faith with the difficulties that he has faced, just like any of us. And yet through having people around him, good Christian, loving people, he stuck with his God. And to me, that's power. 
and that is what a strong man is. And so today we're going to look at two men in the Bible, the first two men that become kings of Israel, um, and Saul, king number one, and David. And we're going to compare their leadership and their ways and how they dealt with big, tough issues and what was a catalyst in keeping one with God and one that sort of just imploded and became quite toxic. And so that's the journey. Um, both of these kings were appointed by God, which I think is quite impressive. Both, both of these men came from quite significant families. One was like um, Saul actually said, why would you choose me? My family is the least, you know, I don't understand. And David, well, when the prophet came to see his family and to try and anoint the next king, the dad didn't even pull him out of the... Um, the um, farm he just sort of thought oh it's got to be the older boys and so he was kind of forgotten in a sense and so these men come from a place of vulnerability because there was nothing impressive about their family which in those days was pretty big and so I find that quite interesting and both of them show an importance of how to live in God's grace so what is grace the beauty of grace is that it looks different for each of us. I've just showed you how my father's grace sort of um, worked and it's different to, say, Steve or you. So to me, grace looks slightly different for each of us, but it has a key ingredient and that's humility. So grace is leaving the grave behind you. It's stepping into the light. It's all sufficient, just as we sung. It's all encompassing. Grace can overcome the most desperate situations. It can turn around the most devastating sin or failure, which we'll see today in this story. And humanely speaking, it has an answer to everything. Grace happens through the power of Jesus Christ on the cross, his death and his resurrection, and its undeserved favour. Grace is an unmerited blessing. It's a measure which is personalised and stylized with your individual name on it. And if we're real, we know that we bend and flex with God and our relationship with him. When we are close, most parts of our life are attributed to him. And we search God's will in those moments. And when we're separate from God... That disconnect resounds, resounds in so many ways, physically, emotionally and mentally. And when we're at this point where we're separated, it's very hard to find grace in that, that place. So let's go with David first. Let's go with the shining one. He wasn't the eldest. He wasn't the most valued. He knew from an early age that he was going to be king and yet he had to wait for a long time before it happened. And it begs the question, why? Why would God tell him, anoint him, you're going to be the king, and then wait for so long? It was in these tough moments when he became a hunted man, when he had to hide and become an outlaw, where his biggest soul-searching and where he found his grace. If you have a look at Psalms, so if you've got your Bibles there, it's page 459. If you look at Psalms 40, verses 1 to 5, it shows David's response 
to how he feels in this tough situation, where his heart goes even though he has no home, he's not with his family, he is running from place to place and he has to try and find people that will have, have him in their home because the king wants him dead. And so David says in 41 to 5, I waited patiently for the Lord to help me and he turned to me and heard my cry. He lifted me out of the pit of despair, out of the mud and, in, and the mire. He set my feet on solid ground and stretched and steadied me as I walked along. He has given me a new song to sing, a hymn of praise to our God. Many will see what he has done and be amazed. They will put their trust in the Lord. Oh, the joys of those who trust the Lord, who have no confidence in the proud or in those who worship idols. Oh, Lord, my God. This is verse 5. You have performed many wonders for us. Your plans for us are too numerous to list. You have no equal. So we see here... David, a man that's on the run, who is struggling, and this, I believe, is his low point, um, and he is just clinging to that pleasure of Christ. Um, it changes a little, though. But before we go there, the job description of a king. Do you know what God really wanted of him? And I think this is telling for what we are expected to be like now. Um, God's job description for a king was to follow God's plan so that the people can see God's power and authority and that they can worship God. That's it. As a king, all he had to do was follow God's plan so that people could see God's power, his authority and worship God. Sounds familiar? I just wonder, that's really what we've been called to do as well. And that leading people to God and worship, was it about David? It was just all about God. His role was just to make it all about God. That's what leadership is. That's what being a Christian is. But as David finally became king and he had the wealth and the power and the authority and a beautiful home, he wanted more. And we know the story of Bathsheba, him seeing someone that he admired and something he wanted from afar. And he starts to turn into about him. And he starts to see his temptation as something that is not of God. It's not about reflecting Christ. It's about him. And he sees this woman and he wants her. The only problem is that her husband is a trusted servant of David, which means that he is a trusted servant of God. He ends up killing God's trusted servant because he had to try and hide his shame and his mistake and his sin. What was his job description? To follow God's plan so that people can see God's power and authority and then worship him. And he stuffs it. People know what's happened. They know what this man who's supposed to represent God has done. They see that he is trying to cover his steps. I mean, haven't we not been there? Have we found that as something that we have experienced ourselves? Maybe not to that extent, but we do cover. Even as kids, you know, oh, it wasn't my fault, I didn't do it. Da, 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 da. And so he covers it. He tries to hide his sin. And the prophet Nathan says something pretty tough to him. He doesn't, punt, he doesn't hold back on what he says. So if you go to page 259, so 2 Samuel 12, 7 to 10, we'll read what the prophet said. Second uh, Samuel 12, 7 to 10. 
which is page 259. Then Nathan, the prophet, said to David, you are that man. This, he did a little, um, a little story and said, suppose this person did this and they took something that wasn't theirs, what would happen? And David got incensed. He was enraged and said, oh, I would get him killed. And then the, the prophet says, well, you are that man. The Lord, the God of Israel says, I anoint you king of Israel and saved you from the power of Saul. Listen to what God gives him. I gave you your master's house and his wives and the kingdoms of Israel and Judah. And if that had not been enough, I would have given you much, much more. Why then have you despised the word of the Lord and done this horrible deed? For you have murdered Uriah the Hittite with the sword and the Amorites and stolen his wife. From this time your family will live by the sword because you have despised me by taking Uriah's life. Oh, let's just do that again. Listen to these words. From this time on, your family will live by the sword because you have despised me. He is a man of God. This man, you know, we just read a psalm about how good it was to be in God's presence and when he was struggling, what he was thankful for in God's gifts. And now he sits in a place where he has acted in a way where God says, it's an act of, it shows it how you despise me. That is tough. David's response, 2 Samuel 12, 13, so just over the page. Does he deflect, does he do what my dad could have done and just turned into an angry soul and said, you know, hold on a minute, it's not my fault, blah, 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 blah. Does he do that or does he sit in that pain and that realisation and just take it? And own it. Well, we know the end, but let me read it anyway. Then David confessed to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. That's it. It's really quick and easy to say, but sitting in that space is really tough. Because if you have ever done something that's disappointed a loved one, and you sit and you look into their eyes and you ask for forgiveness, it is one of the most uncomfortable places you can be. Because it just strips you of all your bravado and takes you to that humbling place. And he's willing to do this time and time again. I love this story because it shows how grace can turn around the most devastating sin or failure. David writes about this in poetry and he talks about how freeing it is to give over that guilt and give it to God and for God just to take it. And it's no more. It's done. It's not reminded of again. He's just free of it. It sounds really easy, but it's hard to sit in that. It's hard to recognise what you have done and how it's affected others. David experiences the full pardon of God. The beauty of David's story is that God knew his heart. A healthy life lesson for us, imperfect lovers of God. When David recognised his wrong, he had a remorseful heart and he ran back to God knowing that he needed unity with God. David accepted God's grace. He didn't keep questioning his worthiness after it. Do we do that sometimes? Do we think, oh, I've done it wrong and then you wonder whether you are worthy still. He, he just knew the grace was there. He didn't keep questioning his worthiness and he knew that he was forgiven. Okay, let's move back in time to the first king, Saul. So King Saul, in his early years, he too didn't feel like he was 
the right man for the job. He didn't feel like he had the right um, heritage to be king. And in his early years, he was quite vulnerable to that and he relied on God quite heavily. But as time went on, it changed. His job description was the same. He had to follow God's plan. He even had, just like David, a mentor, a prophet, who would deliver um, messages. And Saul relied on this a lot. And I think there is a telling tale in this. If we rely on other people to be our mentors rather than God directly, we start to lose track of our relationship with Christ. We all need to have one-on-one relationships with him. And David did that. He had a strong relationship with Christ as seen in the Psalms and the beauty of how he writes. And Saul, he relied a lot on the prophet to guide him rather than connecting one-on-one with God. So what happened? Where was Saul's error? There were many. But um, let me start and just mention today 1 Samuel 13, 5 to 9. So it's page 233 if you want to jump there. So we're going back to the book before 2 Samuel. 1 Samuel 13, 5 to 9, page 233. So Saul was fighting with the Israelite army. He obviously was the king, he was the head of the army and the Philistines were a massive force to be reckoned with and they were waiting for the prophet to come before they would start the fight and bless the fight so that they knew that they would win and the prophet doesn't come right on time and so here is a little background to that. Uh, The Philistines mustered a mighty army, this is verse 5, of 3,000 chariots, 6,000 charioteers and as many warriors as the grains of sand on the seashore. They camped at Michmash east of Bethaven. The men of Israel saw what a tight spot they were in and because they were hard pressed by the enemy they tried to hide in caves and thickets and rocks holes and cisterns some of them crossed the Jordan River and escaped into the land of Gad and Gilead meanwhile Saul stayed at Gilgal and his men were trembling with fear Saul waited there seven days for Samuel the prophet as Samuel had instructed him earlier but Samuel didn't come Saul realized that his troops were rapidly slipping away so he decided to do the job that the prophet had to be had to do and he called the offering he said let me do the burnt offering and the peace offering and then let's get going let's get to it let's get cracking and let's get these guys Um, the issue with what Saul did was number one The guys were scared. Do you think as a leader you would want to talk them through, give them a little bit of a pep talk? Guys, I know that our God can do this. He didn't do that. It kind of reflects his poor relationship with God. He didn't talk to them. He didn't give his faith story to them. What was the role of a king? To follow God's plan so that people could see God's power and authority and lead people to worship God didn't do it very well in that situation the plan was to wait he didn't then he decided well I'll do it on my own that's always a failing was it about Saul was the whole leadership about him no it was always about bringing people to God and seeing that not a strong relationship means that you can easily look at life about you rather than why you're here for but God's plan He tried to fix the problem on his own. He separated himself from God. And in effect, he worshipped himself. Because listen to his justification. When um, 
God found out, firstly, that he did this. God said in 1 Samuel 15, I am sorry that I ever made Saul king, for he has not been loyal to me and has refused to obey my, ca- my command. And then when the prophet asked him, saw what he'd, why he had disobeyed, listen to the eyes and the but- buts that he replies. He says, when I saw that the men were scattering and that you did not come at the set time, and that the Philistines were assembling at Michmash, I thought now the Philistines will come down against me at Gilgal, so I felt compelled to offer the burnt offering. Can you see the shift in leadership? Can you see the difference between his response and David's? It's about, oh, it wasn't my fault. It kind of resounds to me like, um, it reminds me of Adam and Eve. You know, why did you eat the apple? The, the, The woman that you gave me, you know, there's that deflection. And I know as kids we do it all the time and we probably still do it even as adults. We justify our position. And here is the choice. When we're in a position where we have failed and done something wrong, we can be like David and recognise, I need to sit in this. I need to recognise that I've done the wrong thing and I just need to sit in that. That's where the humility comes. Or we have Saul doesn't want to sit he just wants to deflect and when that happens there becomes a spiral of toxicity that comes with it like the two men that I find powerful and strong in my life it's the ones that can sit in the the humble can sit in that mess and become a stronger person through it in order to be God's messenger to draw people to God we have to do it without ourselves. sometimes. We need God to lead because this is the servant's role, prioritising God, God's will, and bringing glory to him, not us. And Jesus is a perfect example of this. When we are separate from God, we lose our grace zone. So that disconnect becomes a whole body experience, like I explained. We experience this negativity emotionally, physically, spiritually. And at this point, it's really hard to muster humility. And that's where we need the spirit and that relationship with God to know, okay, it's okay, we need to sit in this and we're safe to sit in that spot. I love the prophet's response to Saul's, but it wasn't me and you did this and you did the wrong thing. In 1 Samuel 15, if you haven't opened your Bible yet, go here because you may want to underline it. It's awesome. Um, 1 Samuel 15, 22 and 23. So it's page 237. Feel free to underline the Bibles that you might be borrowing as well. Um, 22, 15, 22 and 23. So Samuel the prophet replies after he gives his excuse, what is more pleasing to the Lord, your burnt offerings and sacrifices or your obedience to his voice? Listen, obedience is better than sacrifice and submission is better than offering the fat of rams. This is a bit I really like. Rebellion is as sinful as witchcraft and stubbornness as bad as worshipping idols rebellion so knowing trying to know the whole idea of rebellion being as sinful as witchcraft is trying to know the future yourself that's kind of where I get that point from and it says trying to know the future when only God knows the future means that you're trying to play God 
and therefore taking away God's control. Rebellion. Stubbornness. Placing yourself as more important and then there's no place for God. And if there's no place to God, you're kind of playing God and therefore you take away God's control. Such a slight little swoop little change in the way that we can react and yet it just blocks and it's so hard to infiltrate a blocked stubborn person so the shift to David let's go back to him for a minute at the same point that Saul and David were at we can see that the difference can be accountability he recognizes his failings he connects with disappointing to God and knows he has he sits with it and he knows that he's misrepresented God and he sits with it. Ouch. And he knows that he separated himself from God and he just sits with it. He says, I've done wrong, please forgive me. But know that that word is hard. That's all that's sitting, it's sitting with it. David had a relationship with God and he could sit in an awkward sin spot in God's presence. And this shows humility, it shows strength. Saul was a deflecting one. He blamed others, he justified everything he could and all that justification ends in anger. He becomes a bounty hunter and he wants to kill the next king that comes on the scene. He just becomes crazed with it. He's obsessed and he continues to play God throughout the rest of his life and he has this very little remorse. Two different characters, two different ends. We've all been in Saul's position. We have all know what a downward spiral looks like when we're out of control, when we're destructive, we may hurt people in that process or uh, hurt ourselves. We've been there, we know it. And I guess these two stories are reminders of where you are, you are at the moment in your spiritual health check. Our will to completely control everything damages a life of grace. To receive grace, we just need humility and to relinquish control perfect example again is Jesus his followers were so excited about this Messiah who was to be and yet they expected power and wealth they were in awe and humbled when they understood that Jesus succeeded and it was through love I love that twist so do you want to live in grace of course you do who doesn't and I guess the beauty of David's story is that it's a healthy life lesson for imperfect lovers of God and that's all of us. When we recognise he's wrong and that he was wrong, he ran to God, he knew he needed God. So life stuff ups, our mistakes, it can deepen our dependency on God. Our stumbling blocks can humble us back to God's side. Regardless of how sin separates us from God, in God's eyes, we're enough. We're enough. Paul says, I can boast in my weakness. I can boast in my weakness. Sit with it. It's okay. It's strength. I can boast in my weakness. Like David, we need to recognize our mess and know who we are in Christ. Know that even in our brokenness, Jesus rescues us with mercy. And contrary to Saul's thoughts, our significance is not in self, but it's in Jesus. When David was dying, 
What do you think his parting words were to his loved ones? I love you. Could it have been? You are loved. Keep unified with God. When he spoke to his son, the father to a child, a king to the next king, he says, let go of your control. Show yourself a man and observe what the Lord requires. Let go of your control. Show yourself a man and observe what the Lord requires. Live in God's grace, is his other words of love, and be prosperous by finding peace. Not stuff. Be prosperous in finding peace. Nothing but separation stops us from living in God's grace. Nothing but separation stops us from living in unmerited blessings. Nothing but separation stops us from knowing that we have undeserved favor. favor sorry. So value our connection over control. Become low so that God can be lifted up. And finally, our significance is not what we amount to, but our proximity to Jesus.